Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. I'm Jake Cunningham and my accomplices in this episode are Campbell A. Campbell. Hello. Kelly Powell. Hello. And Stephen Ryder. Hello. This week, Death by Trigger Happy Teens in Assassination Nation and Life by Sticky Fingered Means in Shoplifters. We're talking about Hirokazu Koryeda's Palm Door winning Shoplifters first. Now, we are going to have an interview for this film up on the Curzon blog. Campbell, it was yourself that did that one. You're lucky enough to speak to the director of this film. Yes. You yeah. give us uh, a bit of background on, on Shoplifters and Coriada, maybe the films that came before him. We can maybe talk about how, how we all know his, his work. Right. So um, Shoplifters is the latest in a body of work that's a couple of decades strong. Coriada himself has kind of become known in the latter part of his career for um, focusing on these very kind of warm, insular family movies. Slowly but surely, they've been kind of edging towards uh, dealing with class difference. So he had a film from uh, 2013 called Like Father, Like Son, which shows the divide between a privileged family and a less privileged one. And in a real, uh, based on a real story in which um, in the 80s in Japan, there were children who accidentally got swapped at birth with parents. So people would take home the wrong child. And uh, Like Father, Like Son is about that, about a fairly wealthy couple who find out that their child is someone else's and that someone else's family is far less well off than they are. So shoplifters kind of occurs as like a natural extension of that um, dealing with um, a family in a kind of underclass, barely scraping by with actual work. So they steal to uh, make a living and there's just taking place in more or less a shack and exploring the lives of this surrogate family yeah it, it is really interesting one i find him as a as a filmmaker quite amazing because when we think of filmmakers that maybe churn out one film a year you we, we use phrases like i just had done churn um, which is <laughs> almost like makes it feel like a factory operation and the thing with creator is that in the last f- six years there have been five films they're consistently getting big Uh, international festival premieres very warm reception critically we've got 
uh, in that time, as you say, like Father Like Son, Our Little Sister, The Third Murder, After the Storm. And then Shoplifters comes out. Uh, and in a way, it's like, oh, there's another one. Uh, but this time, it actually wins the top prize at Cannes and suddenly puts a filmmaker who, within certain circles, has always been big, very much on a larger stage than he has done before. Yeah, absolutely. I, I um, wasn't too familiar with, with Corriere's work um, before I saw Like Father, Like Son um, and haven't really been keeping up with him. It was a film that I really enjoyed and I think you expressed like why it's kind of... It's a high concept film, a lot like Shoplifters, is that you can explain it in one or two phrases. Um, and I think that he has a tendency to, um, to, to make films like that that are super complex films um, that can take a while to fully um, understand um, and especially the characters within that film and how they work alongside each other. I think that happens quite evidently in Still Walking. He likes these high concept ideas and he likes placing complex characters into high concept situations. And I think Shoplifters is no different. I think you've got a family who are yeah struggling on the fringes um, and as the film goes on, you slowly realise that they are an unconventional family and what Corey is trying to do is pick apart and define exactly what a family is. Mm. Um, and uh, he does it in a very kind of subtle way and to the point where you where you only realise what's been happening, I think, kind of like halfway through, three quarters of the way through the film. I think it might be easy to dismiss Shoplifters because it's like, oh, it's uh, him doing his thing, like another, another pseudo-family drama. Um, but I think that he has... Um, so much variety in how he works. I was talking to him about this the other day. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he was mentioning how he likes rotating the crew on his films. So he always works with new um, composers, always works with new cinematographers. Um, I mean, he always brings in kind of new child actors when mm. there's children involved. So it all, even when the kind of differences between his films, especially in the later stage of his career, are the differences are fairly minimal in terms of theme. Like, it always feels like something new, um, to me at least anyway, Part partly because of the way in which he tries to mix things up with the, the kind of craft of the film. But then also, um, with these ones, there's still very particular feelings that he tries to unpack with each one. After the Storm, more about... It kind of focuses in more on fatherhood. Like Father Lexan, also another one about fatherhood, but also like kind of adds that... The class, dimension yeah, of class yeah, difference. absolutely. And even things like Still Walking, it's like a very uh, insular drama about, it's like specifically about loss. But the thing about, I think the thing about Shoplifters that makes it stand out amongst this kind of more recent batch of his films is kind of it has a bite to it that I think things like maybe After the Storm doesn't have because, you know, it's, uh, it's the warm fuzzies with those ones. It's right. um, I've seen someone describe his work is kind of being like live action Studio Ghibli films. Mm. But I think with Shoplifters, I think with Shoplifters, not saying that they don't have bite, but with Shoplifters, there's kind of an edge to it and a kind of very raw sadness to a lot of these characters that I think resonated with me much stronger than a lot of his other recent mm -hmm. work, mm -hmm. which I still love anyway. But mm -hmm. this is what kind of put it head and shoulders above it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we've spoken a lot there about the, the connections between these work and how they might interplay thematically and even with the, the, production side of things for yourselves it's very much been an informed film based on previous viewing um but kelly you're you're coming to Corriere's film here as a lot of audiences will because this has this film shoplifters has a much bigger platform than any of his other ones have had before mm. how is it for you coming to this film as a new viewer 
Um, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't know, shame, shamefully, <laughs> didn't, I haven't seen any of his other films, but uh, I found this one so profound in its simplicity, almost. I found like uh, it's told through moments uh, and really authentic, genuine moments that you feel you kind of just lose yourself in the story. Um, and it has almost like this neo-realist element to it that I really enjoyed. Is telling this really humanist story of these people on the margins, sort of trying to st- struggling to survive and finding themselves a sort of makeshift family that they care deeply about each other, but have to uh, commit these sort of misdemeanors in order yeah. to survive. Yeah. So just give give the story a quick bit of background. It's a, it's about a, a collection of people sharing this this one shack, as you put it, Stephen. Mm. Um, very overcrowded, small, uh, jumbled flat. Um, and that production design's great, right? Yeah, it's yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are actually, I know you mentioned Ghibli already. <laughs> there, <laughs> there are a few flats in uh, a few of the more urban Ghibli films, and mm. this really has a familiarity to particularly something like Whisper of the Heart. So this quote in quotes family taking a a young girl uh, called Yuri at the start of the film, who has been abandoned by her family, and they take her in, and initially it's we'll only have her for one night, and Immediately you sense this family dynamic where we've got a, a cheeky father who's going to give her one extra chicken nugget <laughs> and is saying to his partner, we can we can let her stay. And that maybe that one day turns into two days and then that turns into a few months and then the police start investigating what's happened to this girl. The way when you tell it like that, when you give it these two-sentence structures... It feels so much more melodramatic than it actually is. Mm. Like when you say about like father like son, like switched at birth. <laughs> yeah, so it's so, so subdued. Yeah, by um, comparison. and that's throughout all his films. And he's really actually downplaying the level of drama. That's oh, for in sure. It. He, and that yeah. gives it so much more heart, and it gives it so much more reality. He's a natural storyteller. Like mm. that's that he he tells stories in like Kelly said, like moment by moment, and. The idea of taking someone's child away from their house, bring them to your family, and uh, then just keeping them. And what, is, and teaching them to steal? Yeah, yeah <laughs> is, when you say it like that, it comes across as like you, you question the motivations of these people and you question how, you know, in your head, how stupid can they be? But when you're watching the film, it does not feel like that at all. Like the, it, it almost feels logical that the people who love the person the most get to keep them because mm. that's what family is like mm. um you know the the there's there's so many important lines within the film that kind of uh, bit form a thesis for what creator is trying to say i think and a lot of the conversations between the mother and the grandmother about what constitutes a family and do we get to choose our family and things like that and i think that you're right with with this film um these people <laughs> are doing some crazy crazy melodramatic things um but on the surface, when you're watching it, you totally buy it. So you're kind of saying it's like Fast and Furious. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what it said. <laughs> it's yeah. about family. Yeah, exactly. It's about family. Yeah. Oh, man, that scene. I don't got they, friends. After they, they steal that stuff from the shop and then just go back home for some Coronas. Yeah. <laughs> what I mean, a moment. Billy Frankie is, not a, is a Corona man. Yeah. <laughs> None of this craft beer stuff. You reminded me that I have been drawing comparisons to almost everything by Satoshi Kon this month, but I've... The one thing that Shoplifters has reminded me of was a film of his called Tokyo Godfathers, in which mm. a group of homeless people yes. adopt, a, kind of adopt a baby that they find literally in a pile of garbage. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of like uh, Shoplifters is more or less like a um, 
a much calmer... A non-Christmas <laughs> set. Yeah, non-Christmas uh, yeah, set, but yeah. a much more toned-down thing. But um, what you were saying about um, his kind of creator's thoughtfulness in, like, creating these stories is that talking to him was really revealing in how he kind of thinks about these things because he just kind of starts at this very one very particular point and then just works outwards. Um, and in the case of Shoplifters, he was saying that his the thing that kind of kicked off his thinking about the film was a case in which some criminals were caught by the police because they had gone fishing or something like that. They'd used some fishing, they'd used some fishing rods um, and this is the thing that led him back to them. And apparently like they, these were things that they didn't need to have or didn't need to use. And then that kind of led him to thinking, why would these people do this? And then it started, and then it led him to the whole kind of like huh. family without blood ties thing, which I just thought was so fascinating mm. in the way it kind of just starts at this kind of point and then just fans out with kind of like so it's, it's, it's like strange, stranger than fiction kind of thing that he does. Yeah. Like a lot of his films are based around these stories that have happened in Japan. I think nobody knows is the same. Yes. Yeah, um, with the abandoned child. Yeah, yeah, with the abandoned children, and and like you said, like he these are the these are stories that fan out. They start with a very simple concept and then fan out and slowly you kind of see everything trickle down and form like a kind of uh, a basis for, yeah. for what he's trying to say and it's fascinating to see it happen it's it, it does feel like when you're watching it, it does feel like the work of a master um because of how he it falls down on you all of a sudden all of the kind of emotions that building up in the film fall down on you all of a sudden rather yeah. than you know in these very kind of but it's it's but it's not like a tidal wave that hits you no, when it does no. it's like it's always been Creeping up on you like a, yeah. like a bath or something, yeah. and then gradually you realise you're yeah, just yeah. Those creeping up on your yeah. baths, yeah. yeah, yeah. Those surprise baths <laughs> I'm always taking. Suddenly you've been in there for ages, and your like your toes are all wrinkled. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because of the tears. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's really beautiful film, and the performances. I think um, Lily Frankie's really at the centre of it. He was uh, he's been in Coriolis films before. He's really lovely in Our Little Sister. He's the quote unquote dad in this one. He feels so real and cheeky and he's but there's no like Fagin like urchin quality to him. He just feels like a an, a real guy despite the melodrama of the situation. Yeah, and it's interesting because you know, all throughout he's trying to get this kid to call him dad. Yeah. Um I think that, that kind of that kind of arc throughout the film w- is one that kinda of got me. Mm. Um, you know, he's 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 asking him to call him dad, but he's also acting in a way that is father-like. You know, he's not just saying it for ego's sake. He's he he is this dad figure yeah. to this and, kid. And we, we don't question that, even though the, the no. fatherly actions are here's the best way to steal a fishing rod. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's interesting the debate that or the line that he sort of plays, he toys with between well, what's moral. And what's immoral, you know, what's right, what's wrong, uh, you know, with with the kid and with, you know, t- them taking the child, you know, that it's wrong to take a child, but the child also comes from an abusive home. So um, it's also sort of a commentary maybe on like the, f- the failures of the, st- the state, you know. Um, especially when it comes to children and yes, yeah, no, it's like, it's like, like, <laughs> that's that's definitely a theme through as well. Yeah. He has an extremely skeptical eye on the Japanese government. Yeah, yeah. But, okay, but, well but, that's but, good but, to know. But that's what's so fantastic is that he's telling this story and he's making these criticisms through people, not through politics. Yeah, that he's making them through people who are who are actually living these kind of lives. They're they're a believable 
group of people mm. in every single yeah. sense of the word. They they come across as genuine people. Like you, you can see why they're stealing. They're they're actually all working very very hard as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And still having to do these things, and you don't kind of question that. And it's interesting that you say that Lily Frankie holds it all together because I felt that it was more Sakura Ando as the the mother of as um as Naboyu who kind of uh, really typifies what this family are. The first time we see her, she's kind of, or one of the first times we see her, she's kind of walking down the street in the dark, big hoodie on, drinking a beer, and she looks like a proper layabout. Um, <laughs> but then but then you actually get to know her as a character, and she's not. She works hard for this family, and she does everything she can to kind of keep them together. She doesn't really have any particular reason to do this other than, you know, having a support network around her and the same goes for for Kieran Kiki's character as well as the grandma they're together because they want to be together yeah you also, know? like just the way you said it it's also I like that it dismisses the notion that working hard will just get you whatever you want mm. and that sometimes there are structures in place that fail that fail people and they're quite literally invisible because like when going approaching their house it's like covered by trees and stuff just this big overgrown thing like you would you would miss it <laughs> yeah. like walking by and yet there's this whole incredibly complex little family yeah. like living like yeah. just off, off the margins yeah, mm. yeah. Um, does feel um, as though a camera's just turned into their house and just started started uh, filming yeah. things because um, yeah. it's a very intimate film like mm. you not, not just in the kind of uh, emotional sense but in the mm. physical sense as well you don't even understand how these cameras can fit in this room because mm. it's so kind of tiny you mentioned his uh, the set design and how it kind of reminded you of Ghibli films but the set design in his films is always so dense with stuff like mm. it just has clutter. all of these yeah the, the mm. clutter of his films it makes everything feel so lived in just mm. like piles of kind of just like like shabby looking books or something in some of his other films and just all these little touches everything's so particular mm. in how they set up these different spaces so that is shoplifters which is currently the number four highest grossing film of the year in japan and mm. i'm sure will be the same over here <laughs> come on listeners. i hope so Let's i think it's the, it up i think it's the most deserving palm in, yeah. a, in a long time Let's, to everyone yeah. listening i hold you personally responsible <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's make shoplifters the uk's venom <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. <laughs> All right. Um, so we're going to move on now uh, to chat a little bit about Assassination Nation. What if everyone's online life were exposed as it turns out to sheer bloody anarchy, all led by four teenage feminists? The Purge jumps into a blender with Mean Girls in this story of Youth Gone Wild in Salem, USA. Now, this is directed by Sam Levinson, uh, son of Barry Levinson. Kelly, can you give us a bit of info on Assassination Nation? 
So this film is crazy. <laughs> 2018. <laughs> 2018. <laughs> um, no, it's really good. I really loved it. Um, it is kind of one of those polarizing films, I think. Uh, a lot of people that uh, I don't think uh, enjoyed it. But it's uh, for me, I really enjoy films that spark a debate, that make you think and make you want to unpack it. Um, um, I think it's also an important film, <laughs> what it's trying to say. It's not a subtle film. It's not a subtle film, not at all. I mean, it explicitly I mean, the, states what its themes are, like, all throughout the film. It's the town that it's based in is called Salem. Salem, yeah. Which, I mean... Uh, yeah. I see. Salem Witch yeah, Trials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's got its problems, I think, um, as sort of any film would. But I thought that it was really bold, tied together really well. I didn't think that it would. Based on watching the trailer, I was like, how is this film gonna come together but it it really did it kind of switches its tone sort of halfway through it, and it's about uh, basically an entire town's archive of naughty texts and that photos become exposed get yeah entirely leaked by and everyone knows everyone's Business. life of their phone yeah. uh, and it just causes chaos i mean that's that's terrifying right like yeah. that's a scary thought is that you know uh everybody's problems and personal lives being exposed in an instant uh is a very kind of you mentioned the purge it's a, mm. it's a horror film uh in 2018 it's a horror film uh setup um but it's these it's these four women uh at the heart of the film that get kind of blamed for the leaks um and and witch hunted basically that kind of mm. i think they i think they make the film and sam levinson's direction makes the film because it's 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 a very it's a very well well um constructed film it's got some amazing uh set pieces um visually uh there's one scene where uh they're being kind of hunted down in a house and mm. they don't know it and the camera is kind of going from window to window so uh, it's almost hitchcockian um to be perfectly honest um and it's got a lot of artistry behind it but uh but i think it's it's a very 2018 film in the sense that it's 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 trying to cover so many important issues social issues and some of them it nails like spot on and you and it really like makes you sit up and realize it and others uh it kind of misses the mark a little bit yeah it is it, it seems like totally confusing but that as you said that that's what makes it interesting sure. that it doesn't pull its punches mm. it's really going for it mm. uh and it's got this wave of social justice behind it but then also the lead characters are very uh happy to be wielding quite enormous automatic weapons so okay so i attended the screening with uh, um the fi uh, the final girls so sort of uh, did an introduction and a panel discussion afterwards and that came up um you know sort of how people have said yeah okay well these girls also these women also sort of use violence and guns and um but it was sort of spoken about in the context of like well if this is the language that people understand specifically men in america uh then that's the language we have to sort of uh use and it's also is it's like very phallic these these guns mm. that they wield and and it is almost like this reclamation of agency and power uh it's um yeah i don't think that it's it's violence for violence sake i think it's trying to say something mm. Sounds like Spring Breakers. Yeah, it's, it's so, kind so, of Spring Breakers. Similar, yeah, I think. it's not as good as Spring Breakers because yeah. Spring Breakers, I think, is the work of like a true auteur. 
and I think that oh yeah it is. Uh, but um, okay, buddy. <laughs> but assassin. I mean, whether it's whether he's a whether he's a good auteur or not, he does have a kind of very strong sense of kind of harmony. Green has a very strong sense of I think uh, direction that he does. <laughs> whereas sure. yeah, whereas Assassination Nation I think is kind of a, a lot more. Uh, is, I, I could I I would be surprised if it doesn't do very well because yeah. it's kind of it. it it fits very nicely and neatly into the mainstream and into what's happening at the moment. From yeah. what I heard about it, it sounds like it's designed very deliberately to provoke a strong reaction, which I think it has been mm. very successfully. Also, you mentioned Mean Girls, and I feel like that sounds spot on because just hearing um, the description of what it's about sounds like the Burn book part of that movie, but with guns. Yeah, 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 kind of. Yeah, and they also use the tro- they 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 play with stereotypes and tropes. You know that like I mean you know the classic slow mo girl walk where all their legs are in. Mm. They do that a couple of times. It doesn't feel um, s- smart ass. It kind of feels it's still cool and it like works in the moment, but it's also trying to say something about that kind of yeah. And well, also and how it's film using and those teenage tropes exactly. as an access point into maybe talking about something that oh, maybe those sure. films won't touch on as closely and then also how those films have have uh, contributed to sort of the perception of females in high school and like hmm. it's 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 a clear i think it's a very clever film and it's doing a lot it's i think it's clever too and I, I i'm waiting for someone to write an article on whether assassination nation is actually a conservative film rather than a liberal one because i think it positions itself as a super liberal <laughs> film in it especially with the um the at the start it gives you basically a list of trigger warnings trigger warnings i was mm. going to ask about that yeah. that was actually mm. in the film it is, it I, is. Yeah. I remember seeing the trailer for that and i was mm. like Ooh, mm. uh. yeah and it gives you a list of these trigger warnings but then when it comes down to it it feels like part of what the film's saying is like pick up your guns go outside cause some damage um, well, which is now almost a conservative i think kind of point of view. i think it's interesting because they have they have that sort of debate throughout i i like i i think the film's not tr- is is playing to, to audiences to ask them to question that you know because it's it's it it, it um, makes post fun of at conservative ideals and values but it also looks at the at the extremes of both of you know conservative ideals and values and liberal because there's a there's a part that happens to the principal um sort of near the, the beginning and it kind of delves into how dangerous like taking liberalism to the extreme can also be. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, it sounds like with all that drama and guns <laughs> and noise and debate, it's very much a companion piece to Shoplifters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a uh, nice chilled out watch. Yeah, Chill yeah. double bill for the weekend. Total opposite. Yeah. The whole, um, the whole makes your family get out in long Leather coats. Yes. <laughs> yeah, when at the end of Shoplifters, they all work, they go out guns blazing. <laughs> yeah. And who, who expected that? Um, right. So, yeah, uh, that is uh, Assassination Nation and Shoplifters, which are in cinemas this weekend. Uh, if you don't fancy going to the cinema and you fancy staying in, uh, why not watch something on Curzon Home Cinema? Uh, my pick for this week would be Columbus. Mm. Uh, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, sadly, we didn't get to do an episode on it, but it's Love a film. Yeah. yeah, I can it's see you guys' eyes light up. Yeah. I mentioned I'm just that. so happy it's on Curzon Home Cinema. I think yeah. it's really great that people can, can watch it at home now because it seemed to dip in and out of the cinema. Level. Yeah, it's one of these old ones where I think it, its debut was January 7, 2017 at Sundance, uh, but we're finally getting it here, mm. and it's just a, a really lovely, well-composed film. I think uh, in the, actually in the spirit of a shoplifters as well. Yeah, not, for, not, oh, for sure. Very yes, meditative. Yeah, meditative, yeah. aesthetically, like very clever, the way that the shots are set up, never boring to look at. John yeah. Cho is handsome. 
Very yeah. handsome. <laughs> oh, lovely man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, do go and check that one out. Very, very lovely. And you can head to last week's episode of the podcast for our discussion on Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria and Fantastic Beasts 2 as well. Uh, actually, and if you want to check out the original Suspiria, that's on home cinema as well. So make sure you check that out. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on Shoplifters or Assassination Nation or any other recent releases, let us know by emailing podcast at curzon.com and we can read those out on next week's show. And if you haven't already, do please subscribe to us. You can do that on iTunes, Acast. We're now on Spotify as well. And when you're there, if you could leave us a review or a comment, that would be wonderful. Uh, next week, for the second time this year, we're looking at a film by Sebastian Lelio. Last time it was A Fantastic Woman. This time, Disobedience. And that's really about it for this episode. If you want to keep in touch with everyone, you can follow Campbell A on Twitter at... Campbell A. Campbell. I guess you can see the spelling in the description of the episode. Yes. <laughs> uh, Stephen, you're a prolific tweeter. Where so can... prolific. Yeah. Uh, no, you can find me on You find me on Letterboxd. It's Letterboxd. where I do most of my writing. It's Hydra815. Hydra815. And Kelly, yourself? Anywhere? Uh, yeah, Letterboxd or Twitter. Whichever one. <laughs> Whichever one. Are you both, are you KS underscore Powell on both? I'm KS underscore Powell on Twitter and I'm Kelly P triple E on Letterboxd. Lovely. So keep up with all of us there, including me, Jake H. Cunningham, if you so desire. And that's really about it. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Mm-hmm.